0: Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You know, we kind of lovingly call this place a religious detox center because, you know, it's one of the things that I want to do. I, I feel like one of my callings is to help you deconstruct the legalistic performance-based mindsets that get built up through well-meaning people but place emphasis on your faithfulness rather than God's faithfulness. We should absolutely be faithful. There should absolutely be transformation and fruit produced in your life as a result of receiving receiving the Lord Christ into your heart and becoming one of his children and, and being born again. Absolutely, we don't negate that. But we're what we want to do is focus on who you are in your spirit minister to who God has made you to be in spirit so that that will come out of you rather than trying to uh, constantly minister to the external stuff rather than constantly ministering to the temporary part of you you see you know what i'm saying like a lot of ministry and it's not it's not that we've got it all figured out and everybody else is wrong i would never even remotely hint to that it's just that what we are doing is building up who you are in Christ so that that takes over every other aspect of your life rather than focusing on all these things out here, how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better kid, how to be a better taxpayer, how to vote right. You know, all those are valuable, and we actually address all of those things. It's not that I'm against talking about those things, but those things take care of themselves when you know who you are in Christ. They just do. You naturally follow God when you know that you're already in God, that you are firmly rooted and established in him because Christ has made that connection for you. Because you look at Jesus and you say, I believe that what you did for me is my only sufficiency to be in God forever. And the more you affirm that connection, the more that the rest of you matches that connection. Are you with me? And that's what we do. And we just click through every area. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's like the same thing, but you know what? We got to get it. And, and I, I watch people come into understanding kind of this finished work perspective that actually understand this. People start to realize, hey, there actually is a new covenant. Jesus did Become my sin so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not one day going to be righteous. I am right now in this moment in perfect standing with God. Like if I die right now, there's nothing that needs to happen to me to be fully accepted by the Father because I've said yes to Jesus. Now, because that's true in the eternal aspect of who I am, our job as believers is to yield our hearts and minds, live a repentant lifestyle. And what does repent mean? Change your, change your mind. It's like what he was talking about, the tree metaphor. You just change, you know, changing, repenting is this thing that I'm doing is killing me and I don't like it and it's not glorifying God. I'm stepping out from that thing and I want to look to God to, to get a new picture of what it looks like to be a Christian in this scenario, whatever this thing, whatever the thing is that's blocking you from displaying godliness and righteousness, step out from behind that thing and see God first. See the qualities of where, what you believe you should be displaying in him, in Christ first, which is pretty easy to do. You look at Christ and you realize he's not struggling with any of the stuff that I'm struggling with. And then begins the process of putting on the new man. All right? That's what we're talking about over and over and all the time. Is That is our Christianity is to put on what's really true of you. Are you with me? Do you see that? Quit trying to feel like I've got to become. You already are. Just stop hindering it from growing into your life. The biggest way to do it is just intimacy with him. So I've got a couple of passages here that I just want to read through these uh, and then I'll I'll, I'll put them together because there's so much instruction in the Christian life toward your thoughts, how you think, what to think. And so we're left with the idea, well, I, I want to think spiritually. I want to abide in him. I want his words to abide in me because I want to produce fruit. Don't you want to produce fruit? I mean, do you, you, like, are you itching to get out of here so you can go sin? (laughs) Uh, Has anything I said made you think, oh, boy, appreciate that, man. I can go sin now. (laughs) Actually, if you really fully understand what we're talking about, it brings more responsibility. (laughs) I mean, there are some people out there that say, well, you're just a sinner at at nature. And if God really wanted that part of your life changed, he'd give you enough faith to receive grace from him, to change that area of your life. So really, you just kind of kick back. It's like, well, if he really wanted me to change here, he'd give me the grace to change. No, grace is, God is always supplying grace in every moment, in every believer. And it's up to you to lay hold to it and receive it to let that transformation happen in your life. God is not waiting to give you what you need to transform. He's already given it to you in Christ. It's in you. You've got a perpetual motion machine of grace and righteousness in you, constantly feeding it to you in every area. And he doesn't come and go based on your behavior. It's your choice to let it bear fruit within you. Amen? So... But I want, to, I want to read these, and then I want to give you something that's practical that I find pretty interesting that might help you. So let's go through these real quick. This is in John chapter 15 we're going to look at first. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. You know, I love that, I love that version. He's the gardener, right? And that language makes more sense when you look at where we're going here. Uh, next verse. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. That is the worst translation of what that actually says. You guys realize the Bible wasn't written in English, right? It was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so you go back to the original texts to bring interpretations, okay? So in the original language, the uh, Greek word here is bachan or I can't remember how to say it, B-A-C-H-A-N, something like that. There's three meanings to the word there. The first meaning is to lift up, okay? He lifts up every branch. The second meaning is to take upon oneself and carry. And the third meaning is to cut off and throw away. Now, what does the word right mean? I'm asking you a question. What does right mean? Well, which is it, correct or opposite of left? Both, when is it correct? Okay, context, right? That's the point. There are things called lexicons, which is basically a fancy dictionary And it actually shows you, based on the original language, which meaning applies in which place. This particular passage is using the passage, the the meaning of that word that says to lift up. It's really pretty simple. You just kind of have to learn how to use some of the original tools And I have no idea why most of the translations, most of the English translations, leave cut off in there. A little further down you're about to see it says cut off, but it's actually a different word that does mean cut off. And there's only one definition it means cut off and thrown away. What he's saying here, go back to verse 1 for just a minute. So we're going to contextualize. The original word. You look a little bit deeper, and that's why us, you know, Bible nerds like me do what we do, and we dig in, and we're like, "Oh, wow! Th- this this definition of this word is actually used here in this verse," and it's pretty easy to figure that out. I am the true vine; my Father is the gardener or the vine dresser, right? So we're talking gardening terms, all right. Verse two. How many of you do any gardening? What do you do with the plants that the, the vines droop and they aren't bearing fruit? You stake them up, you, bear, you lift them up, then support them. He lifts up every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. Now, I'm going to jump ahead. He says, apart from me, you can bear no fruit. So why, if he expects fruit, would he cut you off and throw you away to bear fruit? Sometimes you can apply even a little bit of logic, not human reasoning. <laughs> But to properly exegete what's happening here and lift up out the original meaning, you contextualize it, and it's a very simple meaning. If you're not bearing fruit, he lifts you up. Uh, While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Next verse. You are already clean. What a statement. I mean... There's a lot in that, but I'm just going to keep going. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Why? Because of the promise, right? Ultimately, the promise that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So remain in me. So so now there's the instruction. So he states what he's going to do, right? If you're not bearing fruit, I'm going to bear you up. And you're already clean. Now, see, this is kind of like... uh, where are your persecutors? Where, where, are your judge, where are your condemners to the woman caught in adultery? And she says, well, there's none. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Right? He affirms the relationship. He affirms her state of existence with him. Then he gives the instruction, right? A lot of Christianity gives the instruction first and says, if you fail to keep the instruction, there's no hope of being lifted up. And it's actually the, ver- the opposite. So God's most interested in you understanding your relationship with him first, specifically through the lens of what Jesus has done for you to affirm and make that relationship secure, then brings the instruction, because absolutely there's an expectation on your life knowing who you are in him, right? So remain in him as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about what it means to remain in him and let his words abide in you. Next verse, please. I am the vine, you are the branches. I I love this metaphor because it's that picture of Jesus looking at, you know, of God looking at you and reaching out with the hands of Jesus after you say yes to him and engrafting you back into him, planting you in God so that the roots of your heart grow deep into God. And the roots of your heart, your beliefs, are trying to grow into something. Sometimes they're growing into the money that you got in the bank. Sometimes they're growing into the spouse that you have, whatever it is. Sometimes they're growing into that liquor bottle. But it should be growing into God's faithfulness. So, uh, remain in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. apart from me, you can do nothing. Next verse. If you do not remain in me you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. See, you're like a branch. Words matter. Yeah, right? If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burnt. Now, knowing what we know about salvation, if remaining in him is believing in him for your righteousness confessing him as Lord, if remaining in him means that, then yes, if you don't believe in him as your Lord and Savior, you are cut off and thrown away, you know? There is a final judgment at the end, and there's the whole lake of fire, and that's a real thing. It, this could mean that, but it's not talking about if you don't bear fruit, he's going to cut you off and throw you away. He's talking about if you don't abide in me. In other words, if you've not been engrafted in me. Do you see the difference? Okay. So let's keep going. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire. And burn. If you remain in me, and my, so it's, it's almost like he, he's making a, a, a secondary point, and then he goes back to his original point. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Amen. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. That's, huge. It's, that's hard. That's offensive is what that is. Have you ever asked for something and it didn't happen? I mean, let's get real here for just a minute. Have you ever asked for something and it didn't happen? Like a legal thing that you had the right to ask for and it didn't happen. So... Where you go from there determines what your future is going to look like. In other words, if you start trying to find answers of why it didn't happen for you and you start reasoning based on carnal logic and your experiences and what this preacher says and what this preacher says and what I think happened, rather than the only thing that really that you have the legal right to do is is look back at God and God said, if you remain in me, my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Well, why didn't it happen? Well, to answer why anything apart from that being the actual reality is man's answer. And then we've got 900, however many denominations we have that splinter why it didn't work for you into all these different denominations. That's probably how most denominations are built. You take a passage like that, you drive down the street, all these churches right here, and you ask them, explain this to me. They all got their explanations. You want to hear mine? <laughs> I don't care. Amen. What did he say? That's right. What are you going to believe? What he said or what sounds right to you? You know, we, we make Christianity about trying to figure things out rather than trying to persuade ourselves of what God said. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is ultimately what I'm talking about is discipleship. Discipleship, the root word is discipline. And it's more than anything, your role is to discipline yourself and discipline your own mind with the truth, right? I don't mean like God's discipline is not punishment or judgment. God's discipline is correction, a reshifting back toward the truth. When God disciplines you, He's discipling you to believe Him, right? All right. So let me keep going because there's so many different things we could. I know there's unanswered questions in that. Go ahead next to, to the uh, Romans eight verse because I want to put all this together. Um. Those who live, now to me, I see the same principles of abiding in him and bearing fruit. And then I, it makes me think about when Jesus said, I've got a lot of, I've got a bunch of things that I need to say to you, but you can't hear them right now because you don't have the spirit. When the spirit comes, you would to hear them. Follow that. <laughs> I see similar principles in the vine, branch and vine here, uh, but it's kind of almost from a more spiritual perspective. All right, so Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. What you should notice here is how much emphasis is put on what's in the mind. Next verse. The mind... The mind governed by the flesh is hostile, or the original word is at at enmity with God. You know, like, it's more of the picture, and we've talked about this in here, but it's more of the picture of, like, oil and water. You know, they're not hostile toward each other, per se. They just can't mix. So your carnal thinking can't mix with spiritual thinking. It can't mix with God. You put oil and water in a bottle and shake it up, and eventually they'll separate. You know, they're not necessarily fighting and the water says, you know, it's hostile. It just, they can't mix. It just can't mix. It might be because you're in rebellion, right? Motivation. But the nature of what we're talking about here is carnal thinking does not mix with spiritual thinking. That is why you get offended or your brain hurts or you walk back from trusting God. When you read a spiritual promise like that, you don't see it in your life. You got a choice. Especially if it didn't work out in the worst way. And I'm telling you, I almost don't even like being this bold about it because I know what some of you have been through. And it hurts. And I know it hurts. But we cannot take away who God is based on what we've experienced. As hard as that is, it's hard. The mind governed by the flesh is at enmity with God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so like you don't understand God's promises when you're thinking carnally they don't make if you read a promise from God and it doesn't make sense to you you're in carnal thinking not necessarily because you're evil or you're hostile toward God in that moment it's just the way that you're thinking does not line up with what God says is possible if God's promises ever feel confusing to you you just go ahead and know you're, you're thinking carnally. Doesn't make you a bad person. Just means, you know what, I need to repent. I need to change how I'm thinking, change my perspective here, filter it all through who, God, who I know God is, what Jesus did, and let me, re, let me reshift my thinking back to God. Limit Unlimited thinking, the realm of impossibility being possible, because that's what he says. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. How? How do you get in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God is in you? That's pretty much it. You are in Spirit if the Spirit is in you. You don't have to figure out how to magically manifest and go into a different realm or anything. Now, there is that eternal realm. There is that spiritual place, right? And it's there, and, it, and that's where God exists fully. But uh, to get there is by him being in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Very clear line. There's two kinds of people on this planet, those who have his spirit within them and those who do not. Amen. People who are born again and people who are not, right? Uh, I think that's it on that one. So, but, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, <laughs> The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. I think that's it on that one. So, carnal thinking, spiritual thinking. And let me, I want to end on something practical for you because spiritual thinking is not necessarily when you're like singing and you hear, oh, there's angels singing in the room. I'm really thinking spiritually right now. Now, that happens. I've heard those recordings. It's like, whoa, those voices weren't in the room. That must be angels singing. Praise God. As if we're surprised that angels exist or something. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. We place so much emphasis on phenomenons like that that we're surprised. It just shows how little expectation we have to be actually interacting with the supernatural. Anyway, side point. Spiritual thinking, more than anything, is not magical thinking or mystical thinking. It's life thinking. It's godly thinking. It's thinking in agreement with what Jesus says and what God says and has promised. Spiritual thinking in the moment might be correction, it might be discipline that might make you feel guilty. God's not looking to try to strike conviction into your heart to make you feel guilty. But when God corrects you and that life springs up inside you, I guarantee you, see, see here, God is never silent. He is always speaking to you and leading you into truth, guiding you into godliness, always. And when you're going the other way, and then for whatever reason you connect to him and you hear that direction, whether it be a voice or you just think of a scripture that reminds, oh, and and all of a sudden you become aware of your sinfulness, that might be God trying to bring you back to following him into righteousness and truth. Not because he wants you to feel guilty or condemn you or judge you, but because he's highlighting, hey, you're headed for death. Turn around. Come back this way because I got life over here for you. Let's go that way. And if you feel bad in the process, you just got to get over it. Just, just quit. Just stop doing whatever it is that's making you feel guilty. That's a word from the Lord. Stop it. All right. So let me just give you a little bit of this is, and I read things like this, and I was reading a book that reminded me of this. This is something that I've known, but the way that your brain works, right? You have neurons that handle memory and thinking. And when you think certain kinds of thought patterns, like let's say you have a particular job that requires you to learn a new skill, the, the more you learn, the more your brain will actually grow more neurons in that particular Area of the brain that has to do with that particular skill that you're learning, and it gets stronger. Your brain is in a state of neuroplasticity. It's always learning, and it's always growing. And the neurons actually look like trees. It almost looks like a garden in there, right? And so what happens is uh, when you go through life and things happen to you, those neurons biochemically... uh, associate with memories, So you have a memory that happened, but as you have that memory in your heart and in your, your your heart actually has neurons too. Your heart can remember as well. So something will happen to you, it affects you biophysically or, or physically. Your biology remembers it. Your neurons will actually store the chemical imprint of what happened when that event was actually happening, right? So that when you remember that event, your brain actually mimics what it did when it actually happened. And so not only do you remember it, but you feel it again. Now, when the brain goes and it starts to collect or recollect the data for you to have that memory, it also grabs the emotions, let's say, that you had the last time you remembered it. So you never actually remember anything, just the facts, the way it actually happened. You remember the way that it made you feel in the moment and how you felt about it every time you thought about it since then. So in light of, let his words abide in you and you abide in him to... Think spiritually unto life. The physical aspect of all of that instruction that's happening is this. Your brain will serve up to you what you believe about yourself and all of those things that happened to you in the past associated with how you interpret it. So be careful to also inject into when you recollect things from your past or when you are trying to sort things out in your memory and you're trying to... Understand life in the moment. Be careful that you're not just thinking about the past and all the negatives associated with it. You must also incorporate in there God's possibilities, God's ways of thinking, God's logic. That is your responsibility to dig into the Word of God and bring that into your thinking as well and mix it in there because ultimately you can become more convinced of who God is and who you are in that area so that it begins to actually rewrite even your physiology so that you can naturally think spiritually. It's like a reprogramming that you have to do. That is what happens physically in a repentant process. There's more going on than just, I'm just going to think something positive and all of a sudden it's going to work out. No. But when you behold the truth, when you take a promise from God and you count him worthy and you say he is faithful, there is a plan out there, there is a destination that he's moving me toward. And all I've got to do is keep myself pliable to him and he will lead me to that. That's just the kind of God that he is. I've got to make sure that I am not hindering his efforts with my carnal thinking. Because my carnal thinking might limit and disqualify me for where I think he's leading me. My carnal thinking might say, well, the last time we tried that, this is what happened, so this is what we're going to believe. We're going to stay right here. In fact, those guys that preach that stuff, they're dangerous. Well, they're dangerous to you. God is dangerous. If you believed everything that God said about himself, it, it makes people nervous. Because we got a lot of questions. Well, why, why, why? It's like, I don't care why. I mean, you know, I do. Because I do the same things. But that is where we have to be. We have to realize God has designed us in such a way that if we will behold Him and count Him as telling the truth and count Him as faithful and take His word and hold it within our hearts beyond the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the lust of other things the things that happened to us in our past, the the desires that for whatever reason have been perverted and we stand and say, I am this thing. Well, no, you're not. You are who God has designed you to be. To reflect original intent. Amen? Amen. Yeah. That's, That's the difficulty, but it's actually a pretty easy process if you can just learn to, like what Tony, man, I mean... You know, that's a pretty hardcore metaphor or a pretty hardcore example. 20 seconds away from death and his body went limp and here comes a wave. Now, you know, some well-meaning creature might take that and say, well, that's how God is. He will wait until the very last minute until you're at the end of your rope and you finally give up. Then he'll come sweeping in. I don't think he plays those kind of games. And that sounds like, that's just weird. Why would he do that? I mean, where in the word does it say that he'll do that? No, it doesn't say that. He's come into me, take refuge within me, and I will keep you safe. I love what Austin said a few weeks ago. Austin saw that picture of going into that tower, that strong tower refuge in God, and looking out at the battlefield and realizing that he spent his entire Christian life on the battlefield rather than looking up and realizing, oh, I should probably go to that safe place over there and let God handle this battle. Amen. It's hard. It's, it's a, it's, it is deep within our psyche to preserve our, our own lives. But if you trust that God is leading you to life, you can think his ways and it, it will just bear fruit in your life. That's the part. So, so then you get to the Mark 4 principle the parable of the sower. And he basically says these things, the condition of your heart, in other words, the receptiveness of your heart to the word of God is the factor that determines if the fruit is born in your life to certain degrees. And then he says, you want to know how it works? Do you you want to know, this is the question I think we all have, do you want to know how it works to interrupt your patterns to take the word of God and deep, and root it deep within your heart and work hard, I mean work hard to let go of the thoughts that are contrary to what God promises and then it bear fruit in your life. You want to know how it happens? This is what he says. He says, it's like this, the farmer who casts seed into the ground and he goes to sleep and he wakes up and he doesn't know it how it happens but it bears fruit. He just goes about his business. He goes, he rests, he wakes up, he does his part. He makes sure the ground is in the right condition. He makes sure the seed has water. He does his part. It's in the seed. It is in the seed already. Amen. 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 And what we're doing is we are, we keep throwing more dirt on the seed with our doubt and unbelief and circumstance and this and that and our sin and this and blah, 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 and and I've got this, God. Or we get distracted by what he says is the lust of the, you know, the the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. Even Even your physiology, easy for me to say, will work for you. If you will hold God's Word in your heart and in your mind and let it be more real to you than the situation that you're facing, specifically in the areas that uh, that t- tap on your identity, like who you think you are, specifically in those areas you need to hold the Word of God, knowing who you are in Him, and let your... It, it's it's hard. That's It's like, you know, older people or I don't know... Let's not associate age to it. But But we'll say things like you're trying to learn something. It makes my brain hurt. It does. It makes your brain hurt because your brain is trying to grow a new way of thinking. That's part of the process. But you you have to hang in there. You have to hold it in your heart. And it all hinges on this one thing, is he faithful? And that's what Sarah did. She considered him faithful, who'd made the promise. Is God faithful? What does he want for you? You know, and so there's debate of what God actually wants for you. And, you know, that's just going to happen. But ultimately, everybody can agree he's got good plans for you. Is he faithful? Consider him. So, you know, my challenge to you, my instruction to you, my invitation to you is this as you are endeavoring to be that disciple of Christ, just go ahead and give yourself permission for your brain to hurt, you know. Give yourself permission to wrestle with those questions. You're going to have the questions, but you have to be able to say, none of that matters. The Word of God is what's true. What He has spoken and declared and decreed about Himself is the only thing that I have the right to believe in my mind. In anything contrary to that, I will work to not let it grow in my mind. Amen. Well, why is this? I don't know. Why is that? I don't, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I am not going to let myself feel anything apart from what God says is true. Amen. Like that might be your choice, easier said than done, but that's your battle. That is, that is my battle. That is the, all of our battles is to feel that what God said is true. And to hold it in our hearts because he said that as you hold it in your heart, it will bear fruit in your life. Well, how do I make it bear fruit? You don't get to know that. You don't get to do that part. Thank God he took that part out of your... You should thank him that he took that part, the actual fruit-bearing part, out of your control. Are you with me? See, because the world needs to see disciples of Christ that actually believe him that actually follow him that are actually displaying and representing his character yes. that are actually walking in the power that he's seeking to flow through them our lives should look different we should we should be we should be weird in a good way <laughs> to unbelievers on this planet mm-hmm. because of what the word of god does in a human yes we get bits of it I mean, me me too, right? Like, I'm I'm just laying this thing out there because I just feel like this is, you know, the instruction of what discipleship looks like. And it has everything to do with where you're going in your mind and in your heart. You've got areas of your life that you want to change. Find a truth. Find a promise. Hold it in your heart. Nurture it. Live within it. Not to try to convince God to give it to you. Not to try to convince God to change you. But... Because you're protecting the seed so that it will bear fruit and produce the transformation. God's already given it to you. He's placed his spirit in you. Everything you ever need to become is already in you. You are, in fact, already everything you will ever need to be. It's just in seed form. And as you guard your heart, it will be produced in your life. It's just the way it happens. Are you with me? So I hope that in that you get something personal for yourself. So just, just take a second and think about it, that it's like, okay, I, I can take this and put this into practice. You being a disciple, is part of it is disciplining yourself. It's like, okay, well, I and that's kind of where Methodist theology came from. It's like, okay, look in the Word, find a method of living Christian, and lift it out and apply that method to your life. You know, I don't want to just give you like a sermon that gives you goosebumps, and I don't want you to just walk out of here thinking, well, that's pretty cool that the brain does that. I mean, make a decision. that I'm going to incorporate this idea into my life in this way because I am a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus. I want to see his fruit in my life. I will begin to incorporate this, whatever this is, into my life. I don't want to define the this for you because it can be very different for everybody. Are you with me? Yes. amen. Like actually put this stuff into practice. Don't just hear the word, do the word. Amen? Yes. amen. Father, we thank you so much. <clears throat> we, we, we thank you that, you're, that you are faithful. And even in this moment, after hearing all of this, we we just make the simple decision that you are faithful. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. We want to bear fruit in our lives. We want to live godly lives. We want to to live worthy of the holiness and the righteousness that you've given us. But we know that we cannot do that in and of ourselves. Uh, We know we can only hinder that process, but we cannot add to that process. So, Father, we make the commitment to just step out of the way, and let your spirit bear fruit in our lives. We will bring our thoughts captive to what Christ was obedient to. We will hold thoughts of life, hold thoughts of, of promise and who you are, what's good and pure and true and lovely and of good report. We will hold those things in our mind and our heart that, that validate who you are and behold the truth of who you have revealed yourself to be in our lives, For one purpose, and that is so that we display the brightness of your glory on this earth. That's what you're moving us to. That's what you're moving your body toward. Whatever the future looks like, ultimately, you are bringing about the restoration of all things so that you, flowing through purposefully yielded human hearts, reflect your glory back to you in perfect harmony and relationship with you. We acknowledge that we are in that relationship right now in spirit, and we just want to let it affect every other area of our lives. We trust you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much. You know, maybe you're in here. and.